house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Anyone? I got a way. I figure I'm in love with somebody when I wear a condom with the other girls. Holy crap, I'm in love. What sort of trouble are you in, George? Currently unemployed. I'll soon run out of money, and I'm the target of a federal investigation. You're a real chick magnet, aren't you? <laughs> Son, we are in a rapidly evolving situation. Don't tell me. George. Are you going to make me literally run from bad news? You do not have the luxury of not... Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's got the alias that you've been living under. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my corporate daddy, Joe Reed. How dare you, uh bring my only fan's name into this i i was assured daddy. that, that corporate was... daddy but all the o's are zeros <laughs> yes exactly uh happy pride to, to all who celebrate yes um although i guess we're probably in july already by the time you're listening to this so whatever okay so um episode 201 we just had our 200th episode we I are know. starting a new year for us new year new us new, new century year, same us. new century of episodes yeah um chris i, I call you my corporate daddy because <laughs> i think the only less conceivable father-son duo <laughs> than paul rudd and jack nicholson would be the two of us yeah um what's the age range between jack nicholson and paul rudd like obviously jack nicholson does feel credible as somebody who has had children later in life but it still definitely feels like uh a grandfather grandson level uh age split between not even they don't look alike they don't sound alike they have zero temperamental overlap right yeah um We'll definitely get into that. I do have a very important question for you to lead off, which is... The eternal question, I'm guessing. When you say the title, how do you know, either out loud or in your head, do you sing it to the tune of... That's that, how you know. That's how you know from from Enchanted, or do you sing it to the tune of Whitney Houston's How Will I Know? And what <laughs> is wrong with me that it's the former and not the latter? because Uh, it should be the latter i'm sure a lot of us well because uh, you know enchanted was fresher when this movie came out but not Um, now that's not an excuse for me now because i I, for days now i've been in my head singing that goddamn enchanted song and enchanted is a movie that i liked but still those are not songs that i want to have in my head dancing around who was that alan menken Apologies to Alan Menken, if that's who that was. Everybody wants to live happily ever after. That's who wrote those songs, right? I'm not I'm not mistaken. Do I need to look that up to make sure? I'll look that up. I mean, it would make sense. Um, okay, so yes, the obvious Whitney song you would sing it to is How Will I Know. Yes. However, me being a contrarian, oh, I would sing it to the tune of Who Do You Love? Oh. Wait, what's... 
Who do you love? The wait. Who, who do you love is from the "I'm Your Baby Tonight" album, and you know oh, if I'm going to do anything, see, see, see. it's gonna okay. I'm gonna ride hard for the "I'm Your Baby Tonight" album. I thought you were talking. Who was that? The like George Thorogood song. Who was that? Who do you love? Um, now I got to look that up. It is George Thorogood. I was right, man. This is why I do well at the trivia music rounds. Anyway, yes, you were talking about Whitney Houston. Enchanted. The songs are by. Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. Look at that. Look at that. I'm on a streak right now. I'm on a well winning streak. This done. is good. Well All done. Right. All right. Um, yes, but yes, have been singing that damn enchanted song for several days. I mean, you can ascribe this title to multiple songs, and listeners probably will. I'm sure there's options that they might uh, do uh, that we haven't mentioned. And partly it's because How Do You Know is basically the vaguest title like this movie could not have been uh marketed more vaguely every negative review also employed that framework of like how do you know this isn't a good movie how do you know when a romantic comedy isn't working how do you know when like a love triangle isn't compelling all of this was like littered with the reviews i'll get into the reviews a little bit later because i definitely want to dig into it but um this isn't quite so much the obvious setup that certain titles are that like you're just asking for somebody to pay on your movie but this really played into uh the negative reception a lot well i also think it played into audiences not knowing right what the hell this thing is like it was marketed purely as this is a romantic comedy but like audiences still need to know a romantic comedy about what what is the setup what is the situation and James L. Brooks is like, I guess a love triangle. I guess sports. I guess corporate well, entry. That's but that's, like yes, that's the. I think the one of the biggest problems of the movie is that there is, it, it doesn't cohere. The different the different stories in it don't really cohere very well. But this was one of those movies I remember that was untitled for a very long time. This was untitled James L. Brooks movie. Um, for <laughs> with the chosen title, it's basically still untitled. I mean, this is the thing: is you 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 look at some of these, and I feel like I think a lot of his movies are like that. I I don't quote me on this, but I think Spanglish was untitled for a while, and I definitely remember that as good as it gets was called Old Friends for a very long time. Um, both of which are kind of amorphous titles as it is. Like obviously, as good as it gets, we you know it's been around for so long that it just feels like yeah of course you know you know as nobody good as it gets. is friends and as good as it gets the only people that are friends are cuba gooding jr and greg kinnear yes <laughs> yeah old friends would have other. been a very very strange title um but i don't know if as good as it gets is i guess that's a little bit more descriptive it's still sort of you know um elliptical neurotic in a very james l brooksy kind of way which like sure. I, I i appreciate that the characters in in this movie are quite neurotic even the characters who don't seem like they would be neurotic like the owen wilson character is sort of like constantly uh interrogating their own motives and whatnot and uh um yeah i don't know there this is my second time watching this movie you I, watched this before previously oh yeah i watched it when it, i watched it when it came out i don't know if i saw it in theater but i definitely saw it like when it was 
sort of fresh out on DVD. I might have seen it in a theater, though. Or even on... This was my very, very earlier days of, like, if I could have gotten a screener from somebody. Although I don't think I did. But anyway, yes. I saw How Do You Know back in 2011. So, yes. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it was a James L. Brooks movie starring Reese Witherspoon. Like, I wasn't not going to see it. I mean, part of the reason that I didn't see it when it came out is that it was such a, like, come-and-go bomb. And, like, I was... I was fresh out of college, but so I would have still not right. been back in the city I live now. So it's like it was gone very quickly. Yeah. And I wasn't surprised to pull up the box office opening weekend and be like, well, of course it kind of tanked aside from being marketed so vaguely. Yeah. This is the week that both Black Swan and The Fighter expanded. I'm sort of bummed that you looked it up independently because I did want to like get like gag you with like what what it got creamed by at the. Can box we talk office. about what the gag of this box office weekend was? Well, the number one movie was Tron Legacy, which is sort of a cursed movie in and of itself. Even though I kind of stick I up like for it. Tron Legacy, I do. I like Tron Legacy a lot. Any movie that has. Uh, um, uh, Daft Punk and Michael Sheen playing a cyber vampire of some sort. Like I'm definitely right, right, into. right, right. Um, no, the cursed movie is the number two movie. <laughs> Yogi Bear, <laughs> Yogi Bear, uh, iconic, <laughs> iconic tagline. Good things come in bears. Which somebody happy pride employ one gay person at your marketing firm. Employ one actual queer person who's going to tell you that that is maybe not the tagline you want to go for for your family-friendly cartoon <laughs> about yogi fucking bear um yeah bad things come in bears um oh, boy but also like like number three voyage of the dawn treader the chronicles of narnia in its second week um the expansion of the fighter a movie that i love um finished fourth Tangled has already been around for a month and it's still hanging around. The Tourist, week two, even after suffering a 48% drop, uh, is still outpacing, how do you know, on a pretty similar number of screens. And the the first, I would, I would imagine this would be the first expansion of Black Swan to... Which All, like not quite a thousand screens, but it was uh, it was close. So it was about but less like, than half of the screens of how do you know it still beat it? Black Swan, like this is obviously very very early Twitter and such, but like Black Swan was like the internet movie of the moment too. Like yeah. it came on pretty hot and heavy. It when had it an expanded. amazing trailer. It was and expanded faster than it was originally planned to because the demand was so high. And like played... I've told the story of how I saw Black Swan with a friend two days in a row, both times at like eleven o'clock at night. And uh-huh. both times it was full. Yeah. Midweek. Yeah. I mean that was the year where like all of the like most of I would say the kind of artsy fartsy Best Picture nominees actually made a bunch of money. Um, mm-hmm. Or that, like, you know, like, The King's Speech made a ton of money. Black Swan made a, t- made a ton of money. The Fighter made a ton of money. Um, all of this, you know, nice ammunition for all those people who were like, the Oscars are out of touch and whatnot. Um, this was maybe the last gasp of that, that, you know, adult American audiences would go see movies that were in the Venn diagram of Oscar's best picture. But anyway, I mean the the joke is Yogi Bear opening at number 2 of this weekend, but like most of the rest of the 
box office top 10 this week are movies for adults. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, yeah, with the exception of Yogi Bear, Tangled, and I guess Chronicles of Narnia, although that feels like it's a four-quadrant, like... Debatable you know. for Tron Legacy. Eh, no, I mean, who is... Who, who, who is young enough to be in that youth demographic is going to remember Tron enough to want to go see Tron Legacy anyway. Like, Tron Legacy was I mean, for... but they they were still selling toys. It was still marketed to teenage boys. I mean, like, I misbegotten because yeah. 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 kids didn't care about that movie, but... Yeah. Oh, I should go watch Tron Legacy. Um, what a fun movie. It is. Makes fun movie. not a lick of sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely saw How Do You Know around that time like i said i think it was probably on dvd but um so this being my second time watching it and i remember at the time being like yeah this is a disappointment i want to make a case for it and i really can't and watching it this time i think i was a little bit more in an analytical mode and trying to pick it apart at least and it's kind of a fascinating failure and that like trying to figure out where within this movie is the good movie because there are good elements to it and there are some intriguing ingredients that i think don't cohere together and are kind of let down by other aspects of the movie and i'm curious to know whether you and i are on the same page because reading through the reviews it was very interesting um even the bad reviews trying to sort of pick out the good things. And some of them thought that, like, Owen Wilson was the good part. And some of them thought that Paul Rudd was a good part. Almost nobody thought Jack Nicholson was the good part. Almost everybody agreed that, like, Jack It's a little shocking that this is his last movie. Like, it's so much looks like a favor favor to his friend. um, Because he doesn't seem that interested. He's not particularly right for the role. No, no. It doesn't, and it's not an interesting character. It's not like, written. It's got. He's got one, I think, interesting line slash scene. The scene isn't fully great, but the part in when he and Rudd, he's finally sort of coming clean to Rudd about uh, every all his his corporate crimes or whatever, and he says at one point he's like, "I need you to leave because I can't. I don't know whether what I'm telling you is being intended to manipulate you or not." And then he's like, I think I am. I think I am being manipulative. And I was like, in in the midst of a better written character and a better written storyline, that line works. I think similarly of the line that Rudd says in a scene with Catherine Hahn, where he's like, I'm on a boat in the middle of a storm. And uh, like inexplicably, the boat hasn't uh, gone under, and the only reason it hasn't is because I haven't done anything wrong. Like, that whole metaphor. I'm like, that would work in the midst of a storyline that makes more sense, or that, like, is more compelling. And right. I think you get those little flashes of, you know, the James L. Brooks that we know from broadcast news, and from Terms of Endearment, and all that stuff. And it's just kind of not enough of it, not enough connective tissue. Um, but Anyway, well, in the discuss when we get into the discussion of it, um, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just kind of launch into the sixty second plot description? I forget how long it took us last week with Gloria Bell, but uh, maybe maybe we should get this one uh, as we're hitting the fifteen minute mark. It's yes, this one's going to be tough because I uh, have not pre prepared, so this is going to be I haven't winged it in a while. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Listeners, 
how do you know uh, what movie we're talking about? Uh, it, it feels very how this this title so vague. It feels very who's on first, you know. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, how do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about how do you know? Written and directed by James L. Brooks, starring Reese Witherspoon, Paul Rudd, Jack Nicholson, Owen Wilson, Catherine Hahn, and Tony Shalhoub. Movie opened wide December seventeenth, two thousand ten, right before the holiday season. Indeed. Mr. Joe Reed, are you prepared to give us 60 seconds of what the hell is going on? What you know about how do you know? Yeah, uh, no, not prepared, but uh, forward I march anyway, so yes. Uh, that's That seems very much like the approach James L. Brooks took to this movie, yeah. um, which uh, I guess your 60-second plot description of how do you know starts... Now. All right. Reese Witherspoon plays Lisa Jorgensen. She's a 31-year-old uh, softball player on the U.S. national team who gets cut because she's past her prime. And so now she doesn't know what to do with her life. She starts dating Maddie, who is played by Owen Wilson, who is a pro baseball player. And he's kind of a womanizer. He's kind of a doofus. But they have good sex. And she's willing to sort of be with him for the moment. She also meets George, played by Paul Rudd, who is goofy and and a little odd, and at the moment he's about to be indicted on federal charges for um, some sort of seconds. corruption in his business that ultimately is the fault of his father, played by Jack Nicholson. So this love triangle between Reese and Owen and, and Paul Rudd uh, is odd, and she keeps breaking up with Owen Wilson, and, and, and she keeps sort of running into George, and we all know that she's going to at some point end up with George, so it feels like a fait accompli. Meanwhile, Rudd has to seconds. make the decision about whether he's going to go to jail to uh, spare his father, and ultimately he doesn't. And also Catherine Hahn is Paul Rudd's secretary, and she has a baby and is very sweet. And ultimately, of course, he ends up with Reese Witherspoon. And that's time. Because we all knew he would. So, there. This yeah. movie has an issue figuring out who the protagonist is. Do you think so? Reese well... Yeah, between I Reese and Rudd, does, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, 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 Reese yeah. Witherspoon and Paul Rudd are in two very different movies. Very and, different like, movies. This movie does not merge the like baseball aging athlete stuff yeah. with the corporate stuff at all. Here's my and, question like, to you about that is at this point in James L. Brooks's career, do you feel like if he had been a younger man with a uh, you know, a younger career, do you think he would have been like, okay, I'll I'll make this movie about the baseball player who's at odds with what to do with her life, and then I'll make the movie about the white collar criminal who didn't do anything wrong. Rather than oh, in this you one, think because he's an aging director, he's like I might as well do them both because I don't know if yeah. I'm going to be able to have the the energy to to do. He hasn't made a movie since How Do You Know, and I don't no. think as bad as How Do You Know did, and it was a massive bomb, and we'll talk about it. I still don't imagine that James L. Brooks is in the kind of director jail that he wouldn't be able to make something. Do you know what I? I mean so i do feel like there is probably a sense of you know semi-retirement maybe to him or something i'm not uh, sure. yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel like director jail it feels like a retirement yeah. i mean he said as much that he just wants to focus on the simpsons for the rest of his career which like and the simpsons is never going to get canceled so that's probably a oh. feasible career plan um the simpsons will continue to be made as long as the people who make the simpsons want to make the simpsons exactly. um well and like he narrowly has already evaded director jail because of I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Sure. Yeah. And then rebounded from that with, you know, a giant hit in As Good As It Gets, wins two acting Oscars and is a Best Picture mm-hmm. nominee. Best Picture nominee. He, he gets Massive snubbed. box office success. Yeah. He got snubbed for Best Director for that one. 
Um, he did, and also for broadcast news. Which is an odd odd trend. It's, it is and it isn't. It's not odd in the fact that it's not surprising that the director of a, a light, quote-unquote, light comedy would get overlooked in a Best Director race. But even a previous winner... Because he'd already but won that, his Oscar. That's what at that makes point. it odd. I think. Because Oscar. he's a previous winner, because he had won for Terms of Endearment, it does make me feel like, well, he's in your club. Like, nominate him, you fucks. But, like, it does feel like a lot of the analogous kind of Rob Reiner snubs over the years. Right. Where, you know, they just don't recognize comedy as being a director-driven medium as much as it is a writer-driven or actor-driven medium. Well, in terms of endearment is a comedy, but like it was also taken seriously as a drama too. So like yes. you can envision a world yeah. where he's not nominated for terms of endearment, right? Even well, and plus winner. it was the front runner in a way that broadcast yeah. news wasn't and as good as it gets definitely wasn't. And as good as it gets coming in the same year as Titanic, nothing was going to be the front runner but Titanic. <laughs> so um, I actually can't speak to broadcast news in 87 because I wasn't aware of the race at that time. But like, I don't, I don't know. It got a bunch of nominees. Maybe at some point people thought it could win Best Picture, but like ultimately The Last Emperor uh, swept. That's interesting that both of his big movies, uh, post Terms of Endearment, were victims of. An, an actual Oscar sweep in the case of the La- the Last Emperor, or a near Oscar sweep in the case of Titanic. I mean, broadcast news feels like more of the victim of it because broadcast news didn't win anything. Sure. Whereas, yeah. Yeah, good as point. good as it gets, got those two acting Oscars. And um, what is one of the few movies to actually defeat Titanic in a competitive category? Uh, yep, 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 yep. Okay, so what were the other movies that beat Titanic in any category? Master and Commander won. Uh, not Master Commander. That that was the one that everybody thought could beat Lord of the Rings. I'm thinking of different movies. There was one. Is it Men in Black who beat it in a tech category for Men- makeup? Yes, and then I Supporting guess it's actors. just the two acting categories uh, yeah. that it was nominated for. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, La Confidential and uh, and as good as it gets. Yeah. That's an interesting trivia question that now I can't do because you know it. But, Put that um, in your pocket. Um. Well, I'll wait for a week when uh, when you know I. I hold a trivia event and don't tell you about it. Um, but um, yeah, what were the three movies to beat Titanic for Oscars? Yeah. All right. Listeners, pretend you didn't hear about it, just in case. Um, or tweet out the trivia before this episode drops. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Okay. Um, yeah, you're not wrong in the fact that this does definitely feel like two movies that don't mesh very well together. And I think the Witherspoon rudd stuff suffers even though they have moments where they do have good chemistry together i think i think they would have good chemistry in a different movie playing a different relationship part of a i think maybe my biggest issue with this movie is i think everyone is kind of miscast maybe not paul rudd if it was a movie that was about his character where he was explicitly the protagonist you yes. know because I think he is well cast. I think the movie doesn't always serve him very well and doesn't give him good material. Nobody gets good material. I here's movie. what I will like, say about Reese Witherspoon though. And I'm going to stick up for Reese here. Surprise surprise. I think she is giving a good performance with a character who is not written very well or consistently. And I, I think, think she's trying harder than anyone else is. I and I think and it because it is a character that does not seem super suited to her. She's a jock. She's you know a little. Um, she's 
not coarse, but she's sort of, you know, she's tough emotionally. You know what I mean? And I think those are, that's kind of a note that she Reese sometimes plays, but it's, uh, I think the, the sort of the jock mentality of her was something that I, that you could tell was sort of like, you know, an acting challenge. And I think she does really well. She creates a, she gives you moments that I think, oh, this is an interesting look on Reese. This is an interesting shade emotionally for Reese. Mm-hmm. And I want to sort of explore it more. And I ultimately don't think that Brooks explores that character well enough, even though she's given so much of the sort of, you know, real estate of the storyline in this movie. You don't, the one of the most telling things I think about this movie is she trained for months how to play softball, how to sort of like look credibly like a mm-hmm. softball player. And there are no scenes of her playing softball in the movie. Well, and James L. Brooks interviewed like female athletes for a year yeah. or something yeah. as prep for this movie. Right. And where is that? Like right. maybe if this was a movie about a essentially forced into a retirement female athlete, it would have done but like it you could have seen the threads of that but it's not there in the movie i mean i do ultimately think she is miscast i think she's trying the most of anyone and i do think there's you get like you mentioned i do agree with you there are those flashes where it's like she's doing something good here and i think of this post oscar stretch before like wild happens basically i mean penelope has its fans and that's i believe the first movie she produced too so like you don't want to lump it into too much of like the well, failures and also penelope on. isn't a movie that you watch for like the reese witherspoon performance whether you like no. it or don't like no, it no, no, it's no, a supporting no. performance it's whatever yeah, yeah but like of this like like downslope era for reese i do think that like she comes out ahead on in this movie and that like the problems aren't hers in this the movie's problems are not hers um i also feel like just in a and on a dialogue level, it's interesting watching her deliver dialogue that's pitched to this particular wavelength. And it made me feel mm-hmm. like for as much as she sort of became known as the next great romantic comedy queen with like, you know, Legally Blonde and Sweet Home Alabama and yada yada, it really makes me feel kind of sad that she she like I feel like this is what I wrote down in my notes. I was like, Reese Witherspoon deserves a great romantic comedy now. Like, she deserves a great romantic comedy for the post... Like, it's been 20 years since Sweet Home Alabama. (laughs) Like, when was the last great rom-com that she really did? Well, we of the Madeline McKenzie... Uh, but that's not a rom com. Like I love. Her no, it's that. not a rom com. But I'm saying the type of idiosyncrasy she's doing in that performance is precise. And like recently, yeah, is precisely the reason why she should be doing a rom com right now. And part of it is that like the economy for rom coms is kind of dried up. And if she wants to do a rom com, she'd have to do it for like Netflix or something like that. But um, she's still she's still a personality that I want to see. And you know. In in a rom com, I mean, and and I think I mean there was Home Again. We should mention Home Again. That is which, true. Like, and part of the reason not why a great I, movie, but she comes off ahead. In that's that movie, the thing. It's part of the reason why I find that movie. I found that movie watchable without it being like great. Is like I'm a I'm 
dying in the desert waiting for a great Reese Witherspoon <laughs> rom-com. And that was at least giving me something. That was at least, you know, moving in that direction. And it's sort of a bummer that the great rom-com guy of the 80s and uh, and into the 90s, James L. Brooks, she's right there front and center for a James L. Brooks movie, and it doesn't do it for her. It's not there for her. And I think she showed up for this. I, as you said, if... if the worst thing you can say about her performance or her character in this is that like it looks like she's trying very hard. She's she showed up to work. She showed up to, yeah. to make this character work and ultimately there's only so much she can do with it. Even I think the worst part of her performance is not really her fault and that's the stuff with Owen Wilson because we're asked to believe that these are people who are fucking and there is zero sexual tension between those well, two stars. The, like the movie cuts around every moment there, that it could have existed in is the other thing. Like there's like you hear them fucking and like it's a little cringy because it's just like I would believe them as siblings before I would believe <laughs> them as people who are fucking. But this is the other thing that I find so kind of vexing is that's absolutely correct. And also the fact that every single scene we see them in together, they're breaking up, which is like I would get that if that was kind of the point of it, if that was like, you know, you know, the conceit, but I don't think that's the conceit. And even if I don't think she's appropriately cast, I do at least think that half of the movie works so much better if it's I was trying to rack my brain of like who should be in that role instead of Owen Wilson. It should be like a Channing Tatum who like is believable as this like fuckboy and can be charming as a fuckboy and might actually have some sexual chemistry with Reese Witherspoon. I don't disagree. And yet everything that I found, almost everything that I found funny about this movie was in Owen Wilson line readings. Like I thought he was because he's such a he's such a peculiar persona, right? And well, I mean, that character is also the only one who's given, like, punchlines. <laughs> right, right. That's the thing. As And and his kind of wide-eyed, like, you know, um, he's completely, uh, uh, not aloof, but, you know, oblivious to the emotional realities of things until it kind of, like, lands on his head. And it does in basically every scene. And he's... Just the the moment that they put in the trailer where he's got the he's like I wrote a note I wrote a whole I wrote all this down he's like yeah, uh, I was so upset when you left I punched a lamp I wrote a thing down she's like all right read me what you wrote down and he's like that was it I wrote I I punched a lamp and it's and it's all there is and I was like that's a good piece of Owen Wilson business right there and again I think it's just this movie needed more connective tissue more you know for a movie that was in production for this long, it's odd that you would say like, you know, another rewrite, but like give it something. I don't know. And it's too bad because I think he's another one who, you know, I think all three of the leads are bringing at different points are bringing something to this movie that I would have liked in a movie that serves it all better. Yeah. I think Nicholson's the only one. I don't want to bag on Jack Nicholson. It's, his, his, you know, it was his last performance. Listen, living legend. And I, I, I love Jack Nicholson. This is what I've sort of become you? to accept about myself is that like people talk about like their problematic faves. I think Jack Nicholson might be a problematic fave of mine. I think he's, 
I'm always sort of in the tank for what he's bringing, even when he's going very over the top, even when he's sort mm-hmm. of dipping into his bag of tricks. I always watch his um, Golden Globes, Cecil B. DeMille acceptance speech, which is like classic, like just riding up to the line of what would be sort of odious behavior for anybody else. And You know, but before television, it was wild. I saw Joan Crawford, you know, the, the legend, the idol of my own mothers and sisters in World War II for chic and a strong woman, probably already the chairman of the CEO of Pepsi-Cola, stand up here and go, in my day, we had them. <laughs> I, I saw Rita Hayworth comes sauntering down to center stage to some stripper music, you know, turn her back. <laughs> Put the dress back over her back, I'll tell you. What a sight. I almost wept. <laughs> and over there, her ex-husband and stage partner and presenter for the night, Glenn Ford, looked out at us all and said, if you only knew how many times I've been through this. <laughs> Rita Hayworth flips her skirt over her head and whatever. And he's telling these stories in this kind of, you know, horny old man way, but in a way that like stays just on the line of being charming rather than, than gross. And I just, whatever, anything that ever would maybe come out about Jack Nicholson for here into the future, I'd certainly believe it and whatever. But um, at the moment, I can still sort of hold him as a problematic fave. I don't know. What are your, where are your, where are you on Nicholson? I love Nicholson. I, uh, I don't want to be morbid, but he's probably one of the next legends we'll lose. So probably, true. um, I mean, let him stay retired. I, I kept yeah. thinking during this movie about the proposed Tony Erdman remake, which yeah. like bad idea. Don't do it. But, and I think it had shifted over to Bill Murray because the rumors I'd heard was like they were selling Jack Nicholson on doing the movie and he didn't really want to do it. He wanted to stay retired. Don't make and... him do it. Let him be retired. You know and what? I also don't make that movie. <laughs> um, it's sad that this is his last screen performance. Although, yeah. here's what I you propose. You can tell he wants to retire in this movie because like he's not really bringing much to it. You he- know? Here's what I propose to the culture, to you and then to the culture at large, is that instead of recognizing How Do You Know as his last screen performance, we all decide to recognize his last screen performance as the post-Oscars uh, uh, reception moment where he and Jennifer Lawrence... Uh, Thank you for bringing this up. I wanted to bring this up. Okay, it good. was wonderful. It's so charming in a way that like everything about it shouldn't be charming. Everything about it should seem, uh, on paper... Uh, creepy and and bad and you know hashtag I'm not so sure because he approaches her nicely to just be like congratulations this is the thing if you watch it it's all so fucking charming and he's charming and she is and she's sort of you know you know she's in the driver's seat of this whole thing and she's definitely flirting with him and he's definitely sort of you know uh he's reacting to that and it's so funny Good to see you. 
Oh my god, thank you. I loved all your movies. <laughs> oh, really? Do I look like a new girl, bro? <laughs> I thought about it. Oh my god. Is he still here? I'll be waiting. Oh my god. <laughs> I need a rear view mirror. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what are you going to remember about tonight? I think it is. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it had already felt like Jennifer Lawrence was a star. Yeah. But, like, that whole back and forth felt like, oh, my God, legend in the making. Like, she can go toe-to-toe. She can hang with Jack, with Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Yeah. She can flirt harder than yes. Jack Nicholson. Yes. Like, just just a, a per- perfect you couldn't script it better um the fact that he's yeah, walking away love, and when was, she's like do i look like a new girlfriend do i look like a new girlfriend well that's the thing is because he's walking away and he's like you sort of look like an old girlfriend and he's almost away and like you know that could have been the end of it and then she sort of like yes ands it almost and um i think at that point people were really teetering on the I'm a little sick of the Jennifer Lawrence shtick, people who thought right. it was a shtick. I have always kind of been charmed by her. And I think, I don't know, I've always given her a lot of leeway for like, she got famous young and was definitely grappling with how to deal with it. And she decided to deal with it by just sort of like being aggressively, um, you know, by taking it all as a performance, right? Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. I just find I I I give her a lot of rope. For, for I'm going to co-sign that that is the final, the true final Jack Nicholson performance with you. Okay. Everybody else needs to agree with us. Yeah. Um Is that also the last Oscars he attended? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, has he presented Best Picture since then? Because I feel like that's Not the- since trash. That was the last? That was the last time he presented Best Picture? No, because he presented th- The Departed, which was also before uh, Silver Lang's Playbook year, but still. Um, he presented D- The Departed with Best Picture, I'm pretty sure. Which was because I remember mm. it being odd that, like, the star of the movie, uh, one of the stars of the movie presented that Best Picture. Um, give me half a second to look this up, though, because I do, I, I would... Who presented Best Picture? Uh, yeah, hold on. Okay, so who presented... Who presented this year? Uh, this year, best picture to uh to oh, it was Gaga and Liza, right? Who presented to Nomadland? Rita Moreno. Am Maybe I, am I crazy that I that hold on. Parasite was Jane Fonda. Parasite was Fonda. Um, uh, Julia Roberts presented it to Green Book. Faye Dunaway and Shaver. Warren Beatty did it uh, in. Uh, mm-hmm. For Shape of Water to make up back for back. Uh, the Moonlight thing, Morgan Freeman presented it to Spotlight. I don't remember who presented it to Birdman. That's the last one that going back that I can't remember. Um, hold on, presenters. Yeah, Rita Moreno presented Best Picture to uh, Nomadland because then they did uh, Best Actor last, and it uh, and it fucked back it all up. Right. Oh, right. Sean Penn presented Birdman because he did that awful uh, somebody check his papers joke about Inyaritu. Oh, fuck off, Sean Penn. Right? Right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Will Smith presented to 12 Years a Slave. 
after Goldie Hawn introduced its uh, clip package. So memorably. Okay, so right. Jack Nicholson was the one who was on stage when they did the Michelle Obama uh, video presentation for the Best Picture Award to Argo. So that was that year. That's why he was there. So that was his probably his last Oscars attempt. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somebody's replaced him as a front row mascot. Yes. Um, oh. I, that's driving me crazy. Uh, it is going to drive me crazy because it's definitely somebody else. Um there's, I can't remember, and I know that we know why, but like the regular, like you can't remember the most recent Oscars. Yes, but yeah, who does like, like who does like Jimmy now. Kimmel go to for in the audience for like go to reaction shots? It isn't Jack anymore. It's um, oh hell! If you're listening to it and you and you know and you know uh, who we're talking about, uh, let us know because uh, it's going to bother us. I feel like. It was somebody. I've, if memory serves, like the way that it felt that it was this person is like feels like the new Jack in the audience. I was like, wouldn't have guessed that, but this feels accurate. Yeah. And it's not necessarily someone. I don't want to say at Jack's level, but like not older. Well, not who's like, at Jack's level? You know what I mean? Like there, there's, I mean, there's not too many who are. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes, like if Hanks is in the is in the crowd, people will default to Hanks, but it's still not quite that thing. Um, now I'm going through like who Tom would've... Hanks felt like that the year that he's like lifting his hands up, you know, to get the house lights back up. Yes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, tweet at us if you can think of who who's the new Maybe Jack Nicholson Hanks. in the audience at Maybe the Hanks. Uh, what's up. Maybe it's Hanks. Maybe it's Hanks. Maybe. I don't know. Still doesn't feel quite right. Okay, so... The thing about How Do You Know, because, like, this was, if not the last, it was one of the last things to be seen this season, and, like, it kind of stayed as a question mark. Like, I remember when people were waiting on, like, what the AFI premieres would be, it would be like, how do you know if it's going to premiere somewhere, it'll be... AFI and it didn't get to AFI anymore. AFI doesn't feel like as significant for premieres or things launching there. Sure. But like, I remember it being somewhat of a talking point when it didn't go to AFI, like it was maybe a warning sign. Yeah. But the thing that everybody held out potential for was Jack Nicholson. Yes. And I think that's because two of his three acting Oscars are for James L. Brooks movies. Right. He won for Terms of Endearment and Supporting. He won for As Good As It Gets in Lead. And it's the kind of thing... Remember when he was in The Departed and he didn't get nominated ultimately, but I remember being like, well, if Jack Nicholson's in a supporting role in a big movie that is is an Oscar player... How are voters going to resist that? And it is still kind of surprising. I I get why they voted for Wahlberg instead. It's a flashier performance. It's it's all uh, serotonin if you're the kind of person who likes tough guys swearing comedically. Like I He gets to kind of own the final twist of the movie. Right. Whereas Nicholson it's interesting that Nicholson's playing a mob boss. It's not like Nicholson has played mob bosses a ton in his career, right? And yet it felt like, oh, well, of course that's the Nicholson role. And it's like, is it? Like, I don't know. I don't. And critics were a little bit hard on, on him. I think critics sort of looking for a thing about The Departed to complain about kind of uh, zeroed in on Nicholson a little bit. 
I mean, for a movie that's fairly kind of grounded in what it is, yeah. he's doing something pretty broad. Sure. Um, I think he's great. But... I mean, I don't know. I don't, like, DiCaprio's also going large in that movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I love Leo in that movie. Yeah, he's not my favorite. He's so twitchy. I I have a big problem with... It's interesting that I should say that, that I have a big problem with overly twitchy characters, just as I was listening back to uh, Blank Check do their Ben Foster or Giovanni Ribisi discussion, and I'm mentally sort of sticking up for Ben Foster the whole way. So maybe I don't have Always a problem with Twitchy. I'm a Ben Foster person. I love Ben Foster. Um, I don't think Ben Foster's as Twitchy as Giovanni Ribisi I don't think is. so either. And I don't think... Go when, back to our episode on The Gift. I think I pretty much ja- dragged Giovanni Ribisi in that movie. Oh, yeah. I think he's terrible in that. Um, terrible. And I think sometimes, sometimes Ben Foster goes over the top, but sometimes, like, I loved him in 310 to Yuma. I nominated him for an Oscar for that movie. I think he's Leave great. no trace, baby. Um, leave no trace. So good. But anyway, anyway, we're, we're far afield. We're far afield. Um, yeah. Nicholson, right. So it's not surprising that, that he got a lot of buzz for How Do You Know? And people were sort of holding, like, leaving a space at the table, essentially, for, for Nicholson to show up. And then the movie opens. It is, a huge bomb. Now, just making the money that it made, it ended up making $30 million domestic, which for a, you know, non-action rom-com movie wouldn't have been a disaster if the budget wasn't well over $100 million. <laughs> like, it was, that was the story of this thing. It was such an expensive talky rom-com that feels like what possibly were they thinking what in what world was this movie going to recoup that budget in that environment in 2010 i mean this i mean nancy myers gets those budgets and it's it's not necessarily the thing about rom-coms like this is also kind of a movie that as people are stopping buying dvds there's not really a rental apparatus anymore right like this type of movie would make money long after its box office life in you know previous years and now you know i'm sure nancy myers movies still pull in some money but like rom-coms don't really they're not really in that ecosystem anymore so it's like they're not continuing they like there's so many examples of movies that weren't big box office hits but they have a long life in like home distribution right the and, in, the intern which was nancy myers's 2015 movie made 75 million dollars domestic 118 worldwide so yeah or uh, 118 international so worldwide almost hit 200 million so yeah you're not right wrong. you're not wrong well and like i'm not saying that this would have like been a hit with the blockbuster crowd you know it would have been the second movie everybody rented because like it's not a good movie and i think part of the reason it didn't make money is because audiences could tell it's not a great movie but i i'm a little i i'm a little i don't always trust those narratives though because i don't trust the public to be able to sniff out a bad movie like that the public flocks to movies that look bad Kind of a lot. Sure, and the public loves movies that are bad, but, like, this got a C-minus cinema score. Oh, yeah, like, once people saw it, and I'm sure, like, if they if this movie was counting on word of mouth, uh, bad news. Um, right. And definitely it, 
if this is the kind of movie that you need to have a long tail into things like, you know, uh, DVD and whatnot, that that bad word of mouth is pretty toxic for that. Right. Well, I mean, I guess I was a little surprised knowing that this is a movie that was released right before Christmas that it mm. didn't make a little bit more because Christmas time is a time when anything can kind of leg out and make a bunch of money. Yeah. Which is part of the reason why Black Swan is a hundred million dollar movie. Yes. Um, that it only made 30 and it kind of evaporated from theaters so quickly. Um, I don't know, probably speaks to how that movie just like got cut from theaters immediately as, as a lot of things were coming out, especially for adults that there were a lot of options and those movies were doing well, like Mm -hmm. black Swan, right? True grit opens a week later. Yep. Yep, totally. <laughs> this is the Chris File mentions True Grit once a week on this <laughs> podcast corner. One of the things, too, that you mentioned in the outline that I definitely want to get into, which is still so surprising, which is this movie got blanked by the Golden Globes. And whether right. whether it was like it had the stink of failure on it, and it's Columbia is the... Is the uh, production company right i mean like when the goose was cooked was when this got zero comedy globe nominations this is the globes that were so criticized because of all those nominations for the tourist well this is the thing and so the tourist is another columbia pictures movie right so sony Mm -hmm. clearly like rolled out the red carpet for the hollywood foreign press and like plied them with all sorts of stuff and whatever and managed to get nominations for Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, got nominations for Jolie and Johnny Depp. And it's like, so clearly... A Best Picture comedy nomination for Alice in Wonderland. This was like how... Well, we'll get into... I want to get into that in a second. In how cursed these nominations are. But like, like, do you feel like the, the calculation was made within Sony that like... Where were were these emails part of the leak? Because now I kind of would want to know. Um, was the calculation made within Sony that, like, how do you know as a loser, the tourist could still be something. We are going to put all of our bribery money into the tourist and, and you know, and wine and dine the Hollywood Foreign Press for this movie. Or did they try to get the Hollywood Foreign Press on both of them and they just didn't bite on how do you know? The latter seems I unlikely. Mean- because like I I I, be- I would believe both versions because like for the former version it, it was probably clear to Studio Brass that the writing was on the roll that they were going to make more money with the tourist in the long run than they would with this movie or they like kind of cut their losses on this one maybe yeah but I just don't it is. Even, like, not liking this movie, not particularly liking any of the performances, it is weird that this doesn't have a Golden Globe nomination for a comedy. The Tourist made... when it was released. Yeah. The Tourist made $211 million international, on top of 67 domestic. Like, that's... It wasn't huge domestic, but, like... By the time it opened, it had those globe. It still made more than twice what How Do You Know made domestic. Um, <laughs> but okay, so you look at the nominees. This is a cursed Golden Globes year. This was the year where, like, uh, and I don't even want to say his name, but like Ricky Gervais, uh, you know, got monocles drop dropping everywhere, and and uh, and mentioned the the bribery uh, mentioned, and and 
whatever, gained an entire unearned reputation for being edgy and outrageous and whatever. And uh, I don't know. The world turned bad after that. Um, But anyway, the nominees... So, like, Best Actress. Reese Witherspoon would have been up against... So, Annette Bening wins for The Kids Are Alright. Obviously worthy. Julianne Moore nominated for The Kids Are Alright. Obviously worthy. Emma Stone nominated for Easy A. Obviously worthy. One of those nominations that is going to mean that I will never fully write off the Golden Globes because the Oscars weren't going to touch Emma Stone for Easy A, but she's so great in that movie, and I'm glad she was nominated. Thus far, we're good. Anne Hathaway in Love and Other Drugs. Now, you know I love Anne Hathaway, and we've talked about that movie on this podcast. She's good in that movie. Sure. (laughs) I... And, like, again, I don't think How Do You Know is great. But, like, if we're nominating Anne Hathaway for Love and Other Drugs, I think Reese Witherspoon for How Do You Know does have a case for, like, but why not also me? And then Angelina Jolie for The Tourist. And, again, I love Angelina Jolie. But The Tourist is dumb. And and if Laugh riot, The Tourist. Well, that's the other thing. Um but I don't know. So again, like it's not like I think justice for Reese Witherspoon in here. But if I'm Reese Witherspoon and I'm looking at this lineup, I'm looking at my studio and being like, guys, and whatever. Reese probably doesn't give a shit about getting nominated for a Golden Globe at this point in her career. But you know, you managed to get make this happen for for Angelina and the type of star fuckery that they are notorious for and like they nominate supporting stuff all the time that doesn't translate to oscar it is very weird i mean like uh, maybe it's just that it's a nothing performance but like on paper it is incredibly weird they didn't nominate jack nicholson yeah so that year the oscar crossover with golden globes and supporting actor christian bale wins it in both so whatever uh jeremy renner for the town is nominated for both he's the only thing about that movie besides blake lively that i think is successful so like i don't mind that nomination even though like if i'm given five slots it's not going to be one of mine but um and also it was the halo nomination after hurt locker right so um fine jeffrey rush for the king's speech co-lead you know category fraud whatever um was always going to happen the second that the king's speech became a front runner so Mm -hmm. that's the that's the crossover the two outliers andrew garfield for the social network who i would imagine came pretty close to getting nominated for the oscar indeed given how well the social network did everywhere over there it was kind of surprising that he missed that that lineup um and would have to wait another six years for his first oscar nomination for a bad movie in hacksaw ridge um uh which is too bad and then michael douglas for wall street money never sleeps which feels like a very hollywood for impress nomination though and kind of the other side of the coin of a jack nicholson if you know what i mean got probably got nominated Mm -hmm. for the same he's a legend in hollywood he's back revisiting uh uh, old success obviously he's revisiting his old oscar winning role whereas nicholson is reteaming with his oscar you know director so that it's a very similar narrative and they went with wall street money never sleeps which didn't get any other nominations anywhere so it's not like it was being buoyed by anything um curiouser and curiouser i would say but Indeed. douglas had a legit oscar campaign like i remember they were really pushing him hard to get an oscar nomination for that what a non-entity movie too money never sleeps yeah yeah yes (sighs) boy 
Remember that one? Remember poor Carrie Mulligan just adrift in that movie? Oh my god. Awful. Talk about showing up to work for a movie that like is not serving you. Like yeah. she gives a performance in that movie and it's just like okay. for what? For yeah, to what end? To what end? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um I'm looking Money Never Sleeps, however, is a great post colon uh surtitle in a movie wall street money never sleeps yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah what else could be money never sleeps um, mama mia money never sleeps yes i mean yeah because they run an inn so you know you would think that things would would go to to sleep there but nobody ever really sleeps in the mama mia movies an extension of the jessica alba franchise where she goes on to uh wall street um honey honey never sleeps <laughs> it would also be a good step up uh step up money never sleeps step up honey never sleeps yeah that would work that would work for me the fast and the furious money never sleeps i don't know think about it think about it vin now that you're sha- now that you're lake, shadow directing money never your sleeps. 10th movie um a month by the lake money never sleeps well you know you got to put some money into that that uh that lake house or else it's... tea with the dames money never sleeps well sure sure i mean yeah so i want to talk about paul rudd a little bit so okay. i really like paul rudd as a personality as an actor famously ageless yeah famously ageless have liked him in so many movies my question is and then i have a little bit of you know supporting evidence is paul rudd the kind of actor he's been famous for so long he's been so successful is he the kind of actor who we think at some point he's going to get an oscar nomination for when he maybe steps out of his box a little bit or i don't I can know conceive that but he's not like an alice and janney in that like the second he's nominated he is winning no. i i feel like he'd be the type of person where it's like they'll view him in a way that the nomination is the prize, you know? I agree. I but agree with that. I just don't know what that is. Like, I do like Paul Rudd and like, I'm always happy to see Paul Rudd, but I don't know if the range is there. It might have to be like the right role in the right movie, or he could be the type of person that gets carried along with a best picture front runner, but he doesn't make the type of movies that become best picture front runners. I think the right role at the right time is probably true of a lot of people. So I think it definitely would be true of him. His career is very interesting in that you look at the very beginning of his movie career, at least. And obviously, okay, so he does object of my affection with uh jennifer aniston he's in the cider house rules in a small role he's in a very small role i don't even think he gets to talk in uh, william shakespeare's romeo plus juliet um he's in the shape of things the neil labute movie the shape of things in 2003 so couched within that is wet hot american summer which is small cult movie but i remember at the time and he sort of you know wasn't really known for being a huge comedic actor by that point, but he's so funny in that movie. I remember around that time, Janine Garofalo was talking in an interview or in somewhere or whatever, where she was like, best reaction shot in the business is is Paul Rudd or something like that. So like, she really complimented him on his comedic chops. And I was like, that's very interesting. Um, and then it all changes with Anchorman in 2004, where that, launches him into a solidly comedic career and it follows up with 40 year old virgin and 
um, knocked up and forgetting Sarah Marshall. He shows up, role models, I love you, man, all this sort of stuff, right? Um, and then he does that for essentially a decade and then transitions into uh, his Marvel role. And now he's got, you know, a handful of big, you know, big money Marvel movies. And so now he's sort of bouncing between comedy and these sort of big action movies. The things that I find interesting are he has made a few forays into um, against type indie drama slash dramedy stuff but it's so these movies are so small that they don't get any kind of recognition it's not that he's failing in these it's that genuinely nobody sees them i the 2013 tribeca film festival which was the one that i was working for tribeca then i was writing for their website so i got to see basically anything that i wanted at that tribeca he had two movies at that tribeca he had uh, the David Gordon Green movie, Prince Avalanche, which I saw and I thought he was actually pretty good in. It's him and Emil Hirsch. Um, couldn't tell you too much about the plot at this point because, like, I don't remember a ton about it, but I remember thinking he was good. And then he's in a movie with Paul Giamatti called All is Bright that is about maybe people who work in a Christmas tree lot. Like, I don't know. That's what's on the poster. Is It's him and Giamatti looking... Um, you know, glum and, and working class and with a and with a Christmas tree in between them. Anyway, um, two movies at the Tribeca Film Festival for Paul Rudd. And like nobody ever sees any of them. Um, he does a movie in 2016 with Selena Gomez called The Fundamentals of Caring that again makes absolutely no impression. He does um oh, what's the other one from this? Oh, The Catcher Was a Spy, which I only know because I think the title is dumb. Um <laughs> uh and this is he's it's a it's a, a world war ii spy movie that he's the star of right. it's him and mark strong and sienna miller and nobody saw that one either and so it's just interesting to me that he does seem to have an interest in taking some of these small roles in interesting slash challenging slash against type projects they just don't get seen by anybody and you wonder if, well and he's somebody who is working all, the, all time. the time all the all time all the time yeah so it's hard to differentiate some of those things too yeah. it, it, it's that as well and i mean he's working across a broad spectrum of scales i think he is kind of weirdly placed and what makes it like hard to imagine him in the type of role that gets an oscar nomination is that he occupies this kind of middle ground between leading man and character actor yeah that I don't know if he leaned more into one direction, it would be more conceivable. Cause like Alison Janney as the example, Alison Janney as like one of our like foremost character actors working. It's like, it just has to be the right role. But like Paul Rudd, even like with what we've said, I still feel like, yeah, but I don't, like he just doesn't well and do the type of performances that people you can rally people around to support and similar to the reese witherspoon thing is you go back 10 15 years you'd say oh you know what paul rudd really needs and would do great in a james l brooks movie you know what i mean (laughs) because it's like that was the ideal for you know smartly written well characterized comedy for adults 
and and that can be respected and that the Oscars will, you know, gravitate to and and that would be that would be the key to unlock the Paul Rudd thing if you want to get Paul Rudd an Oscar nomination. Put him in a James L. Brooks movie. And they did I, and it didn't work and now it's right. like, well who's who's doing that kind of stuff now? Who would be the person to take a comedic actor who has got the chops and give him something with enough heft like honestly i'm like i mean Marielle I Heller. much like everybody uh thank you i was just about to say that i was like much like everybody else in the business everybody needs a Marielle heller movie. yeah that's sort of what i'm Can thinking talk about how fucking angry i am i get that hulu is using Searchlight as a way to oh, like we gotta talk about this prestigify, for lack of a better word, their original output as a streamer. And like I do actually think they're doing a good job of differentiating themselves in the market because one of Hulu's problems in recent years has been they don't have the content library. Like at a certain point, it feels like nobody's talking about a lot of the shit that's on Apple, but Apple almost has a larger original content library than hulu does or at least of stuff that's still currently running like hulu's ended enough shows at this point that like we don't even talk about anymore so here's but like here's what i'll say i think it's all about it's all been a strategy that's been in place for a while but they're making these decisions of things that would deserve a theatrical life to put on their original stuff including night bitch which yeah i don't understand that decision at all I could probably talk for a good hour about what's going on with Hulu because it's 8 billion different things. Part of it is I don't think Hulu gets to make their own decisions anymore now that Disney is running the ship. And I think Disney is currently using Hulu as a weird, like, uh, everything that Hulu is being used for is dumb. I think it's being used to weirdly obfuscate what FX's space in the streaming world is because Mm -hmm. now things that are on FX and they're on FX on Hulu and FX just premiered this show, the bear that I thought was very good with Jeremy Allen white. And then he dropped the whole season on Hulu and it's like, is this an FX show? If this is a Hulu show, I thought FX on Hulu was done. I thought we weren't doing that anymore. And yet here we are. Hulu is also being used to kind of murder Fox searchlight in its sleep and but they're not because they are, searchlight is still a theatrical entity the sometimes. movies that are coming out this fall are not going to be on hulu right away it's i do think that it is a smart strategy to kind of combine the forces of and essentially the prestige of hulu fx searchlight into one thing i just think they're making the wrong decisions about what they're making the hulu releases and what they're making the theatrical releases i think if disney's going to be the one who's going to be the the money behind it all anyway if you acquire a movie and have no intention of distributing it just make it a hulu original don't make it a searchlight i think searchlight still has a name value in the indie cinema world that you want to keep them theatrically exclusive to keep the brand i think they're really killing the brand i agree with that by doing that and the other thing is i think hulu's doing very well with television at this point i think they've had they're coming off of a really good year where they had the dropout and dope sick i think they're going to do very well at the emmys this year they still have the inexplicably hugely popular handmaid's tale that i think they're going to you know 
when that show comes back, I think it's going to be marketed to high heaven. I think that is the one show that when I come back home for like the holidays and I talk to people and I'm, you know, I write about television and I want to know what people are watching. They're always watching the fucking Handmaid's Tale. Like it's still incredibly very popular. Um, so I think Hulu is doing well with television and I like, they're one of the few streaming outlets where I kind of like their user experience. I think it's a very sort of like easy user experience. Anyway, my point being, I agree. What Disney is doing with Hulu strategically drives me up the wall. Um, also justice for Emma Thompson's Oscar campaign and good luck to you, Leah Grand, which is now dead. Yeah, because she's not even going to have an Emmy campaign no, now because she's starting at the beginning June. of next year's Emmy season. She's not getting nominated. It's No, it's awful. Also, movies, like I know there is still a category for made for television movie at the Emmys, but like those acting categories are all the limited series categories. And right now, yeah. limited series is where it's at. So if you have an acclaimed performance in a made-for-TV movie, you are never going to be able to beat Amanda Seyfried in The Dropout or, you know, Colin Firth in The Staircase or whatever. Those are where the buzz is. So this is why, like, Bad Education with Hugh Jackman or whatever struggled to even get to nominations and was never going to win. Right. Because... TV movies are not where it's at. And if you are a TV movie that is basically getting shunted from a theatrical distribution, you look like leftovers. Like that's the, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the big picture strategy, and I do think that they're pulling this off incredibly well is like, as you know, people are having more and more complaints across a broad spectrum of issues with Netflix right now. One of the things that is getting more traction is a lot of their original content that they put out is dog shit. And it looks like dog shit. And Hulu, even something like Fresh, which I don't like, like is a cut above the crap that Netflix is putting out. And like, I do think that that is... That is the goal in wh- how they're trying to separate Hulu in the marketplace, and I do think they're actually achieving it. But here's, However, here's the difference. at the detriment to movies that do deserve more life than being forgotten on Hulu. Here's, like, here's the difference, though, is that just on a perception basis, Netflix is the studio of Roma and The Irishman and right. The Meyerowitz Stories and Marriage Story and all of these movies that are good and that are successful, and that win Oscars. And Hulu, as a movie-presenting entity, doesn't have that. Hulu feels like leftovers. Well, and they won't, because they're not doing... They're not putting those movies that are launching on their platform... This is the thing. ...in theaters. They did get a leg up, like, during the Nomadland year. Yes. They had a bunch of... Like, I do think, like, that gave them a lot of credibility at a time when it was needed. And, like, some of these things, like Fire Island, like, that was in their deal, that it was always going to be Searchlight on Hulu. It was never a theatrical release. Should they have reassessed or figured out what contractually they needed to do? Absolutely. And, like, I understand some of this was, like, made... These deals were made in a more uncertain marketplace. So, like, we'll see how it keeps evolving. And I think at least with Fire Island and, uh, like, Happiest Season or whatever, those feel like they are contributing to a a niche program, programming uh, interest, which we can argue for days about whether Fire Island deserves to break out from that niche, and I think it does. Um, whereas 
some of these things that are just sort of like, well, there's Sundance acquisitions that they have decided not to put in theatrical. And I think the Nomad Land thing is a good point, but I think because it happened during the pandemic year, it's very easy to asterisk that movie and just be like, right. well, it was force majeure, whatever. They couldn't put it in theaters. And, um, and so it was a Hulu movie, but anyway, I don't know. It's, I have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts. My, my basic <laughs> thought is, um, free Fox searchlight and just let it be Fox searchlight again, even if it's not affiliated with Fox in any way. Um, Cause it's a brand that means something. And I know that like, whatever, there is no financial incentive to do that, but do this for me. I don't know. <laughs> do your uh, to bring it favor. back to how do you know a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. This movie is way closer to the like, Netflix has gotten so much credit or did a few years ago before people saw the movies that they were doing for like trying to revive the romantic comedy Um, and all of this I exclude Always Be My Maybe I like Always Be My Maybe Um, but it's these movies that like look horrible they're not good nobody talks about them the Monday after they have launched on the platform. Yeah. And how do you know feel felt so much like that to me? Yeah. Did you happen to see who the director of photography is on this movie? No. Who is it? My jaw dropped. Oh my God. It's Janusz Kaminski. <laughs> it is fucking Janusz Kaminski. This movie looks director of darkness or director of lost souls. Rather Janusz Kaminski. <laughs> Oh, what man. if an exorcism movie was a Law and Order episode? <laughs> um, uh, Lost Souls. Um, wow. I w- I'm a little aghast that he shot this movie. This movie looks horrible. Yeah. Horrible. There's no there's no visual uh, signature to it. It's-, it's all overlit. It's all these very anonymous apartments that, like, are shot with, like, no character whatsoever it's set when there's green screen it looks yeah. so bad it's set in washington dc it was partially filmed in washington dc it was a lot of it was filmed in philadelphia to look like washington dc none of it feels like the only reason why this movie feels like it needs to be in washington dc is because owen wilson's character plays for the nationals that's the only real reason none of this movie there's no dc character to this i'm, I'm sure people who live there and can spot certain locations will probably uh, maybe say differently but like to me there is no character of location in this okay here's the other thing i wanted to mention to you and this is total non sequitur but it's about location did you notice <laughs> that it has always not always, but like in so many of these scenes, it has just rained. Like there's like, oh my god! You look at like the ground or whatever, and there's just like puddles of rain everywhere, and like the sky is blue and whatever, and it's like it's sunshiny, but it's just like why is it constantly having just I mean, rain? Maybe that's just why see? it looks like shit. It's all green screen, blue sky. But I, like I don't even think it's green. <laughs> Reese screen, Witherspoon blue sky. walking down the street, and they have a giant fold out green screen behind her. I don't even necessarily think it's that. I think they were probably just like waiting for like rainstorms to pass through before they could start filming again or something. But like, if you're not going to go back and watch this again, but if anybody listening to this decides to watch this movie keep an eye out for like how many times there is just like just freshly rained on ground everywhere it's 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 so strange um i'm sort of going through my notes and i want to see okay so 
I'm not going to get up in arms about the casual heteronormativity of this movie. I'm just going to say that when Reese Witherspoon's character gives her speech about how with all the other softball players, when they leave the game, they go and they find a man to marry and have kids. And I'm literally like, all the softball players find a man to marry and settle down? I was like, (laughs) that is the most... This was written by a straight guy who just didn't even bother to like think about that that might not be the case. <laughs> Maybe a lot of these softball players might not settle down with a man, is all I'm going to say about that. How dare you, sir, at the tail end of Pride Month, reduce an entire sport to stereotypes? Not an entire, DIY. I'm just saying, just give me a little aside that is like, well... Or wives. You know what I mean? Just something. Something. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Can we talk about my favorite softball player in this movie? Sure. Go for it. Arriving into the movie Chowing on a Sandwich, Tiana Paris. Oh, Tiana Paris. Yes. Who gets like a scene and a half. A scene. Yeah. A scene. I was so mad. I mean, granted, this is before we're like, we knew who Tiana Paris yeah, was. Yes. But like. Well before. I love Tiana Paris. No, um, she's great. It was She was definitely, your your face lights up when you see her. I want to get to Catherine Hahn in a second, but I do want to shout out as I'm going through my notes and then I'll put my notebook down. Um, two things that I actually thought were pretty funny. And again, I this movie is so sporadically successful that I took to like writing down the parts that I actually thought were funny because there weren't not enough of them. Um, not a long list. When Rudd is grilling on his little like terrace or whatever, after he finds out that he might be indicted and he just sort of flings the steak uh, over the, the balcony or whatever. I thought that was funny. Also the part where Rudd goes to visit his dad and he's like, just, uh, adjourning this meeting with all of his lawyers and he's sending his lawyers out and he just like as an aside as they're all leaving says to the one who's like get me that list of non-extradition countries <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny um, okay now can we talk about Catherine Hahn yes we can which I was confused when she first arrives because she comes on screen with like a Sony Vio folded all the way open, pressed against her body. And it's confusing at first because it looks like one of those things on TV shows and movies where they're trying to hide a pregnancy. Right. And then it's revealed that her character is actually trying to hide her pregnancy. Right. Uh, Very dark, given uh, current situation in the United States. Um, One thing I want to say about that... That was a bit... I also had a Sony Vio at that point, I'm just going to say. So I felt very connected. (laughs) Catherine Hahn at that point. Continue. Always looking for a way that uh, you are personally connected to a Catherine Hahn character. She was real life pregnant in this movie. And so when you do see that scene, though, she's very obviously pregnant. And part of it, me, was that I'd seen the movie before. So I knew that like her pregnancy becomes like a part of it. So when in the next scene, she's on the phone with him and she's like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, and he seems genuinely surprised. I'm like, really? Like... I don't know. It was very surprising. It was very surprising that you would be in all, at all shocked. Catherine Hahn apparently was filming the childbirth or whatever, or like the in the hospital scene the day before she had her child. I mean, I would believe it. Um, I love her in this movie. The case could be made that her entire character could be cut out of this movie. This movie that is already pretty long. And I wouldn't disagree on a mercenary sort of, you know, gotta cut something. And she does kind of lift out of this movie pretty easily. And yet, all of her scenes are 
for themselves, in and of themselves, really good. She's giving a very big comedic energy, but I think in a way that I appreciate. The scene where she keeps trying to tell him what she knows, and he keeps trying to make her not do that. Um, I think she's really funny, and I love the proposal scene. I think that's the one moment where the movie actually makes me feel something. Your thoughts? Uh, yes. Uh, my thing about Catherine Hahn in this movie is like, yes, it feels like a godsend when she's there because like the successful stuff that you're talking about there, that is absolutely true. And yet maybe I would, had I seen it at the time, it would have felt uh, more special. But now it feels like, I don't want to say like bargain bin Catherine Hahn, but she's doing the Catherine Hahn thing that we love in so many other movies. Sure. But like, it's so much better in other movies. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Um, I, I just the scene where her boyfriend shows up and proposes to her, and it's all it's he's doing all the talking and she's doing all the reacting, and yet her reactions are so idiosyncratic and and wonderful and kind of you know feel very spontaneous and and really pull me into that character. And you, that scene, you need to believe that that scene would inspire Lisa to like get in the game no pun intended in terms of sure. you know realizing that she could go for a romantic relationship with the rudd character and it does that job and i think katherine hahn is the reason why it is able to do that job is all i'm gonna say all right do you want to move on to the imdb game um actually what before we do i just want to go through the some of the reviews because i did jot some of these down ah uh, yes um they were all pretty bad this was a 31 percent on rotten tomatoes there were a handful of people who stuck up for it i will say going through the rotten tomatoes reviews um including our uh, friend and frequent guest katie rich but she was not alone um there were a handful of freshes and i think not i i can see finding the good in this movie, even though I find found myself frustrated that the good was not buttressed better. But anyway, um, of the negative reviews, if you pull up the top critics thing on Rotten Tomatoes, which is what I immediately go for, because I don't need to be bothering with non-top critics. Um, <laughs> the very first, the very first review on the page is by uh, Shubra Gupta from the Indian Express. And her quote is... Three likable stars and Jack Nicholson, first of all, Shade, uh, can take this. Uh, can you take this foursome and make a film that makes you want to barf the moment it opens? Yes, if the film is How Do You Know? <laughs> um, <laughs> Peter DeBruge from Variety. How do you know when a spark is gone? When your latest romantic comedy looks like TV, feels like a greeting card poetry, and sounds like a self-help manual. Oh, wow. Also, ouch. Peter Bradshaw for The Guardian called it a fatuous parade of nothingness. Yow. <laughs> Burn. And uh, the great Roger Ebert, his pull quote is just, I expected this movie to be better. Which is the most, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed uh, dad response I could imagine for a movie. Like, that is that would make me feel terrible. Roger Ebert just giving you the, like, I just thought this would be better. You have let down Roger, and I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I can't imagine it. How sad. Yes. All right. Now I will say yes. Let's do the IMDb game. 
All right, yeah. Let's. Uh, why don't you tell our lovely oh, right. listeners what that is? I am the one who does that this week. Every week, we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we will mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we will get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Would you like to give or guess first? I'll guess first. All right. So for you, I went into the various women of James L. Brooks films. One of which we mentioned early in the episode is I'll Do Anything. Misbegotten, almost musical, I'll Do Anything. I do wonder if the musical version from what I've heard about it or read or what the like rumor mill is Uh around the musical version. I do wonder if he would have been put in director jail (laughs) if that had been released instead. It's just like this nothing disappointment movie. Maybe. All right. But it does sound pretty bad. So for you, I have chosen (laughs) Jolie Richardson. Oh boy. Okay. Any television. One television. Nip tuck. Nip Tuck. Sure. Okay. I was also just trying to bring back discussion of one of our early obsessions in this podcast, the way that she says Christian. Christian. Christian Troy. Yes. Um, I love that. Okay. Also, someone recently on Twitter, I saw this getting like retweeted a bunch of like stars who dated their like fictional children and i forgot yes. that she briefly dated the actor that played her son yep she sure did she sure 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 did yes um uh, all right good for you jolie jolie richardson all right 101 dalmatians correct all right she plays uh uh anita, anita darling. darling yeah uh, 102 dalmatians <laughs> incorrect okay. All right, Julie. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a movie where she was in it with either her mother, her mother is Vanessa Redgrave, or her sister, the late Natasha Richardson. She was uh, in Nip Tuck with her mother. That's right. That's right. Uh, Christian Troy, uh, like, didn't he, like, finger Vanessa Redgrave? He definitely had sex with her. I'm not sure the particulars of it, but yes, uh, that was definitely a thing. Christian had sex with everybody on that show. That is sort of a thing. Um, All right, Jolie Richardson. Is she in... I can't remember whether it's her or Natasha or both. Is she in The White Countess? No, what was that called? Right? The White Countess? The White Countess is not correct on her known for. Let me see if she's actually in that movie, because it doesn't count if she's not in yes, it. Yes, it does. You you always say this, that it doesn't count. I think it doesn't count if someone's does. not in it, because, like, circumstances... It's still it's a wrong like, guess. I think it's still a wrong guess. All right, she's not in The White Countess, but I'll follow your rules since it's your guessing. All right, give me years. 1997 and 2000. Huh. 97... These are both before Nip Tuck, if that helps place, right. but after 101 Dalmatians. I feel like I've just recently watched a movie where she shows up in a small role, and I don't know whether I would be going for that. 97. Is she in Oscar and Lucinda? Uh, it is not Oscar and Lucinda. 
Okay. The 97 movie, speaking of uh, movies that notoriously have uh, director's cuts that I don't believe... I don't believe this movie's director's cut has seen the light of day. Or maybe it has on, like, really super grainy footage. Uh-huh. 97, a movie with a director's cut. Like, heavily edited, I think, for, like, story confusion and also... Maybe some gore. Gore. Mimic? No. Mimic is Mira Sorvino. Yes, that's right. Mimic's a good movie. I like Mimic. I like Mimic. Um, Gore, 97. She's not in Scream 2. That's Portia de Rossi. <laughs> that doesn't have a director's cut. And it either. doesn't have a director's cut. I don't think I know what you did last summer has a director's cut. There's definitely people that like ride for this movie. I've been curious to revisit it for a while. It is horror science fiction. Oh, is it uh, that one with Sam Neill? Event Horizon? Event Horizon. I did not like Event Horizon. I only watched it a couple of years ago when I was doing my Halloween spooky movies thing. And I had heard so many good things about it. And I was very, very uh, eager to watch it. And I did not care for it. It seems like something I would like. Give it a shot. Um, yeah. 2000, big summer movie, problematic star. <laughs> Johnny Depp? No. Uh, Kevin Spacey? No. Um, uh, Ezra Miller? No. Um, what, there's so many problematic, Gary Oldman? No, problematic star we've recently talked about. Recently, Mel Gibson. What women want? Yes. No. Summer movie. The Patriot. The Patriot. The Patriot. She the Patriot. She, she's his wife, right? Uh, or I his like his sister-in-law. She's a love interest. Yes, she's his. Lady I think she's like. Something. Yes, I think she's maybe his sister-in-law. Or like his dead wife's sister. Something that he like later that. Married. Yeah, can't imagine yeah. a movie I want to rewatch less than The Patriot. Yeah, even though Heath Ledger is such a handsome boy in that movie, <laughs> but yes, um, yes. All right, that was tough. All right, Chris, for you. In the IMDb game, I also went into the James L. Brooks filmography. I also went into the James L. Brooks uh, Miss filmography and picked somebody <laughs> from the movie Spanglish, uh, Screen Actors Guild nominee Cloris Leachman. Ah, uh, may she rest. May she rest. Um, last picture show. Correct. Her Oscar win. Young Frankenstein. Correct, Frau Blucher. I actually think Spanglish is there, so Spanglish. Spanglish, yes, I hate you. You're three for three. Wow. Oh, sorry, I should have said this in advance. One of them is a voice performance. Oh, okay. Um, Whoa, what was that? What the fuck? Are you going to Funky Town? Pop-up ad. Are you, are you, are you recording this episode from Funky Town? I got a goddamn pop-up ad in the middle of this. I got Russians in my fucking... What were you saying? I just freaked out. I really think that was the beginning of Funky Town. Okay. Um, uh, animated film. Voice voice performance in an animated film. Oh my god, Beavis and Butthead do America. Uh, she's a voice in that, but it is not correct. Strike one. 
Oh, well, whatever it is is not right. Okay, <laughs> what else is she an animated voice in? That is the question for you. My guess is she's in a voice in a lot of things, because she has a very distinctive I... old lady voice. Sorry, I'm still thrown. I <laughs> jumped out of my skin. Because I... Um... Okay, um, and I don't have a year. Not yet. Because I was otherwise on a roll before... Yep, you were. Whatever hacker. Yeah, that was Um, really a sabotage. Okay. I mean, those were maybe the obvious guesses, so maybe I wasn't really on a roll. Um, Okay, animated voice, Cloris Leachman, not Beavis and Butthead... She's not in, like, one of the Shreks, is she? Like, one of the later Shreks. Well, one of the later Shreks is not the title of a movie. <laughs> um, all I can think of right now is her saying, There's so many slots, you won't know where to begin. <laughs> is that from Beavis and Butthead? It's from Beavis and Butthead. Okay. You're a simple creature sometimes, Chris. You're a very simple creature. Yeah. yeah. Um, problematic fave, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> um, uh, damn. Um, see, this is the thing. This is also why I don't... I don't do those daily games to begin with, but this is why I hate the box office game <gasps> thing that everyone it's does. So is because, fun. like... You can't remember animated movies. Well, that's the bane of my existence. Yes, it is true. Okay, uh, what is... It's gotta be like a Pixar. They were smart enough to get her in Pixar at some point. Gotta make a guess. Uh, Monsters, Inc. Not Monsters, Inc. Okay, so your missing year is 2013. Okay, um... What were the nominated animated movies of 2013? I will say that's going to get you there, if you can remember. Okay. Um, What was the Pixar movie that year? That would have been like Monsters University. Um, No, that's not Monsters. Is it it Monsters University? Uh, No, there was no Pixar nominee that year. The winner was a Disney movie. Big Hero 6. No, that was 2014. Um, Big Disney. I really need to, like, do my research on animated feature nominees because, like, I can't place it in time. No Pixar nominees. It was a Disney winner. Big, big Disney winner. There was also a... um, It's not Tangled. We talked about Tangled earlier. Correct. Is this the winner? No, it is not the winner. Okay. Is it Disney? It's not Disney. Um, give me a. Is second. it How to Train Your Dragon? No, that was the first one of that was Shit. 2010, and uh, I can't remember when the second one was, but it wasn't that year. Um, 
Let's see. This movie was produced. It was this How to is... Train Your Dragon 2 is some fucked up shit to be giving to kids. It's like the plot point is like, hey, kids, what if you watch your best friend get possessed and then kill your parent in front of you? That's just like what that movie asks you to contemplate. The um, second one? Yes. yes. Yeah, I don't like the second one. I love the first one. It's not that I don't like the second one. I don't like the second one nearly as much as I love the first one. Anyway. It was just like that sequence. I was like, yeah. Jesus Christ, this is supposed to be for kids. So you're um, looking for a DreamWorks animated one. Um, that isn't How to Train Your Dragon. The other nominees are, like I said, the winner is Disney. There's a um, Ghibli nominee. There is a Illumination nominee. There is a... Oh, Despicable Me. Yeah. She's not in Despicable Me, no. And there is a um, a French movie that I'm not sure what the... Uh, uh, is that My Life is a Courgette? No. Yeah. Anyway, you're, the one you're looking for is the most... Um, besides the winner, is the most sort of like... Well, Despicable Me too. It's a broadly commercial one, anyway. Okay, so it's DreamWorks. What are the DreamWorks animations that are not... This one had a sequel fairly recently. Is it The Crudes? The Crudes! I refused to ever see The Crudes. The Crudes, which I actually watched and remember very little about, because I watched all the Oscar nominees that year, obviously. Um... Yeah, surprising that it's that voice performance and not, um, let's say, Beavis and Butthead to America. You make a good point. Um, she's also in a voice in the Iron Giant, which is sort of surprising that it's not that. Um, anyway, yes, may she rest, Cloris Leachman, Gran in the Crudes, and she was also a voice in the in, uh, the Crudes, A New Age, and. Yeah, should be Beavis and Butthead to America. <laughs> IMDb still has one movie on her IMDb that is announced, and it is listed as in development. Guys, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I, I have some unfortunate. News. What if she did? Wouldn't it be a gag? It would be a gag. I mean, yeah the the cast of that movie. It's something called The Home. The proposed cast is her. Ed Asner, Louise Fletcher, and Fanola Flanagan. So that is, and it's fantasy horror. Okay, that would have been really interesting. And I wonder if they're still going to make it with a different actress who's not Cloris Leachman. Anyway, um, may she rest, Miss Cloris. Yeah, work, Miss Cloris. <laughs> you give it to them, Miss Cloris. All right. I think that is our episode. If you guys want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? Twitter. Letterboxd. Both at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File, F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility, so tell us exactly how you know that we are a great show. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more books. Bye-bye.